So this weekend is going to be about practice forms. Why would we use practice forms? What's the point? I think it, the point changes quite a bit over the course of our practice, and I'm going to try and touch in on the various ways we use form as our practice changes, because it's not, it's not the same from beginning to end, if there's such a thing as an end. In the 14 Mindfulness Trainings introduction, it says about forms, they are the torch lighting our path, the boat carrying us, the teacher guiding us. Especially early in our practice, we really use form as a kind of container that we can bounce up against, bang our head against over and over and over again. Uh, it's, it can almost feel like a bit of a regimentation at first. You do this, why? I don't know, we just do this. Um, but ultimately, regimentation doesn't capture it. You know, it's not just regimentation, it's about transformation. That's really what form is about. If we just get stuck in regimentation, we just do the same thing over and over and over again and don't understand why, and it doesn't do anything for us. So that's not, that's not capturing it. But at the beginning, we give in to that. We, we, we go with that because it's, it's important. Ultimately, as form changes, as we change, it becomes our language for expressing love in the world. It's the way we find meaning in the world and the way we take our awakening and express it in the world. And that's so different from the idea of a regimentation. So that's the kind of stuff that, that I want to cover. <laughs> You know, I got a sense of this, um, this using form as a way of expressing love in the world. I was at the Garrison Institute uh, a few months ago, and it was a big conference, and I was offering a workshop, and there were people from all these different uh, traditions, and, and no tradition, but primarily Soto Zen. And Soto Zen, they walk really fast. So I was there, and I was doing my mindful walking, you know, and... Uh, People were rushing past me, and I had no uh, inkling to hurry. It was my way of expressing love, to take this step and take this step. And I felt so much Thai in me. He was just, I was Thai. And, and, and I realized that I was expressing love through a practice form that used to feel like regimentation. Uh, so that was a really important lesson for me. So I want to talk about form in a couple of ways. And there might be unusual ways that, that you aren't expecting. So hang with me on this for a while. I want to talk about form as a kind of storytelling. And I want to talk about form as a kind of intimacy. So what do I mean about this? Muriel Ruckheiser, the poet, said, the world is made of stories, not atoms. <laughs> and I really think that's true. Um, we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. 
our very perception is storytelling. We create our world with the stories that we tell ourselves, that we run through our heads. They precede our perception. The story's there first, the perception comes later. It filters, what, it filters the very thing we think of as the bare facts we're taking in, the things we hear, see, taste, smell, think about. We think we're things, things, seeing things clearly, but we're not. We're seeing our story projected on the world. And form is a way of shifting that story, either immediately or over time, slowly. So just, just remember back to when you first arrived and came in the door. Uh, there was an energy about you, right? You, you, you had maybe been at work, or you'd been, I heard someone say it took them an hour to get here. You've been in traffic. You've been in the collective story of our culture, that we are better off when, we're, when we get things done, when we hurry, when we compete with each other so we get through that light before it tur turns, you know, we, we pull ahead of this guy before he cuts us off. You know, this is our collective story of what we're telling ourselves. It's, our collective stories are often stories of separation, of suffering, of attainment, of pushing away what we don't like. This is, this is the, the basic story that we've been telling each other and ourselves all our lives. So when we walk in the door, that's the stories we carry. But form holds a different story. So when we come in and we sit down on the cushion, when we bow to the cushion, we remember, ah, there's a different story. The story of stillness, of slowness, of calm, of love. And we begin to shift the story that is prominent in our minds. And form does that for us. With, with forms, we tell audacious stories. Mm -hmm. Stories that seem so impractical that as to be impossible. The stories of connection. That we are all one. Audacious mm -hmm. compared to the story outside there. The story of gratitude. You know, that gratitude is a natural thing that comes up in us and we express. And, and that's such a contrary story to the stinginess that we, that we carry around with us so much. Stillness, calmness. These are, these are audacious stories to tell ourselves, and they are contained in our practice forms. Sometimes our practice forms tell us stories we didn't even know we needed to hear. I remember years ago at Deer Park, there was the great Lin Chi ordination ceremony. I don't know if any of you that. I think it was in 2004, maybe. And all week long, we ordained new Dharma teachers. And for every single Dharma teacher, we did the entire ceremony. Uh, it's a similar ceremony that we will do on Sunday with the, tran the, the recitation of the 14 mindfulness trainings. But this one even started with the full parade of the monastics with the, you know, the, the yellow umbrellas and you know, the, the, the whole thing. So for a whole week, we did that 
uh, three or four times every day, the whole thing. Not the, not the parade part, but the rest of it. And it sunk into me so deeply in a new way. It told me a different story about what was possible for my life and for the way I could be in the world. I didn't know I needed that story. But being immersed in that form over and over and over and over again for a whole week was, whoa. I came away with a different story of what was possible in the world. Hmm. You know, it, some of us are, are, are aspirants to be Sangha leaders. And as Sangha leaders, we, we can be really aware that one of the, some of the most powerful stories we tell are with our very presence. Not with the words we say, but with our presence, with what we do. Tai talks a bit about this as um, indirect teaching. That's what I'm doing right now. It's words. It's indirect. But direct teaching is what you do with your actions. There was a, there was a time... Uh, years ago when Ty was giving a talk and he had, a, he had drawn a circle on a whiteboard. And I think it was at Deer Park again. You know, what is it, 800 people can fit in that, in that hall? It was just, you know, it was just packed. And imagine that you're up in front of 800 people giving a talk and you had to erase the whiteboard. You might get up there and kind of apologetically rush through that to get, you know, because you think everyone needs you to be in a hurry. That's our collective story. Ty walked up there. It's the way Ty walks. And he picked up the eraser. <laughs> he just made this circle. And it must have taken him a half a minute at least to wipe all the way around that board completely present for what he was doing. That was such a powerful teaching. Oh my gosh, I don't remember one thing he said that day. <laughs> Not one. But that was the direct teaching. Mm. One of my other teachers, uh, Frank Ostaseski, uh, one day when he was giving a talk, right before he, he was going to give the talk, he cut himself shaving pretty badly. And he came out of the bathroom with two band-aids on his face, right before he has to get up in front of all, the, all these people. And he didn't hide for a minute that he didn't like this. He didn't hide that he was upset that he had done that, that he was embarrassed to have to get up in front of the people with this big, you know, flashing neon sign there of these band-aids on his face. And he, he felt the feelings, he owned the feelings, and he let go of the feelings and started teaching. And that was such a powerful lesson for me. You know, he, didn't, he didn't talk to us about it at all. He didn't apologize. He, you could just see him practicing. And that was direct teaching. It wasn't about the words. So we as Sangha leaders have a chance to do this. We have a chance to do this. We can really help each other with this kind of direct teaching. You know, embodying the practice form is embodying our liberation. The more, the deeper our liberation, 
the more we embody it in the practice form and the more it helps everybody. When we take a step in peace and mindfulness, it helps everybody. And we do that because we've been practicing this form and we're willing to embody our own awakening in the form. So we practice these forms so we can tell truer stories. Truer stories than the ones that we've inherited from our wrong perceptions and the things that we've um, accumulated karmically through our actions, through our family's actions, our culture's actions. We practice so we can tell truer stories. But they're still stories. They're still just stories. Right? And and we know that that's not deep enough, ultimately, just to tell stories. Uh, you know, in, in Zen, our practice is to drop stories. So we know we can't just stop here. Really, the stories are about our self-nature, our separate self-nature, our relative nature, the way we call it. But we also have a non-self-nature, an ultimate nature, an interconnected, interbeing nature. So. That's what I want to talk about next, is how do we practice form in our ultimate nature, not just our separate self-nature, like I've been talking about. Not like we have to throw out that other stuff, because that's important, because we are both a separate self and a not separate self. We have both of those in us. But there's something deeper that we can practice. So this is the idea of practicing form in the ultimate dimension or practicing form as intimacy. Intimacy. So when we think of intimacy, we often think of um, uh, the kind of intimacy that's a little bit more on the surface, a, a grasping after. I really want this person to be close to me. I, I, um, I want to know something. But this, this kind of an intimacy I'm talking about is is a, is a very deep connection, such a deep connection that there ceases to be self and other. Very deep connection. That's the kind of intimacy. When I use that word in this context, that's what I mean. So let's get a little more concrete. So what kind of intimacy would we practice that way? There's several. The first one is intimacy with ourselves. This is the foundation for all the other kinds of intimacy. We have to first learn how to be intimate with ourselves, And form allows us to do that. When we practice the practice forms, we take our scattered energies that are going out in all directions with all our preferences and aversions, and we bring them back right here to this particular life, to this breath going in and out of this body, we gain intimacy with what it's like to be myself, to be in this body, not that body. We can only 
practice this intimacy right here. <coughs> One of our forms is uh, guidance and meditation. Breathing in, I know that I am breathing in. Breathing out, I know that I am breathing out. In, out. This is a practice form that brings us into direct contact with ourselves. The scattered mind has been brought back right here to this mind and body. When we do those kind of practices enough, we gain a skill of how to be intimate with ourselves. We know how to settle into this body. We know how to watch this mind. We know how to deal with the difficult things that come up, the physical pains, the endless parade of wants and I don't likes. We know how to be with all that stuff. And it's a tremendous thing to be intimate with this life. And if if you're not intimate with this life, no one else is going to be as intimate with it as you. It's going to go unseen. And that kind of awareness, that intimacy with yourself, becomes the foundation for the other intimacy. Because how can you be intimate with someone else if you don't know how to be intimate with yourself? How can you listen outside if you can't listen inside? This is a really important skill that that, uh, our form gives us. So another kind of intimacy, um, it would be intimacy with the present moment. Our form invites us to be intimate with this moment, not stuck in the past or racing off into the future, but intimate with this moment. I'm more and more using the term the current moment instead of the present moment. You know, in the present moment, I've often gotten stuck thinking that that the moments are divided into little chunks. And now I have to be in this present moment, and now this present moment, and now this... But I'm kind of liking this term, the current moment, because it's like the flow of a river. It's not... It's not disconnected from, from every other moment. I just have to be aware of the current as it's flowing through me right now. This is the moment right now. And this is the moment right now. It's not... They're not discrete little little chunks. Um... So I'm, I'm learning to become more intimate with the present moment in the way that I sit down on my cushion. Uh, what I do is I, I do a kind of a refuge practice. It's, and this is one of our forms. Uh, you know how we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. So what I do is I sit down and I, I sit, I get in touch with my body, I balance and then I, I've, I think the thought or have the words in my, in my mind, awakened nature. I take refuge in awakened nature. And sometimes when I sit on the cushion, awakened nature is right there. And then there I am, refuge in awakened nature. Sometimes that's not there. So then I say, I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge, begin taking refuge in all the practices, all the forms that we have. 
following my breath in this way, uh, doing compassion practice, whatever, whatever those practice forms are, I, I come back to this moment using them. And sometimes that's where I remain, or sometimes I still can't settle. So then I take refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in all of you being here. And I, with all of you holding me, I sit there in my suffering. And I just say, okay, this is my suffering. This is what this moment brings. This moment brings my suffering. And I need all of you to hold it with me. And you're all there. So this is an example of how our form can bring us into intimacy with the present moment. Whatever it is that's happening, our form can bring us back to that. Not something else. Not what we want to have happening, but what is happening. And there we are. So we find the forms, we practice with the forms that can bring us right back to that. Okay, another type of intimacy. Intimacy with our ancestors. Our form gives us this. This form is a gift of our ancestors. All the matriarchs and the patriarchs, Thai, Bodhisattvas, the Buddha. Now, we are the 43rd generation uh, since Lin Chi founded this style of Rinzai Zen or Lin Chi Zen. And it's been a few more generations than that, they think, since the time of the Buddha. So we've got hundred or more generations of ancestors that have refined this form and passed this form to us. They gave it to us with love. So in, in that sense, we can be really intimate with our ancestors. They've been practicing just this. And when we sit down and follow our breath, it's not just, it's not just little me. There are all these ancestors that have been doing this from time immemorial from before the time of the Buddha. And we can be intimate with that. But we can be intimate not just with the ancestors of the past, but we can be intimate with the ancestors in the future because we are that chain of ancestors. And so when we receive these practice forms from our ancestors, we practice them with our whole heart and then we pass them on. And the next generation will pick them up and practice them with their whole heart. And when we practice on our cushion by ourselves, in air quotes, we are practicing for the future. We are practicing to transform ourselves to the depth that we can, with love and integrity, offer these forms to the next generations. That's a, a lovely feeling. Lovely. You know, I had, a, I had one of the most powerful experiences of my life, being intimate with my ancestors in a way I did not expect at all. It was when Lynn and I were in Vietnam, and we went to Tu Hu, to the old, our root temple. And my dear friend, Michael Mwansan uh, and I, uh, we wanted to go, we, we were spending the day at the nunnery nearby, and we wanted to go to the to the old temple where the nuns or the monks uh, were, and we went over there, looked around, nobody was there, 
we looked all around, tried to find a way to go get in, but it was all closed up. And we thought, oh, you know, poor us. So, so we, we strolled down the hill to the, uh, this pond with a pagoda there, and uh, we sat there, and this, this small Vietnamese man, old man, came up to us, and uh, he didn't speak any English, we don't speak any Vietnamese, he came up to us and he went, come on, just, you know, signals, come, come this way. So he took us up there, back up there, took us around to the back and let us in this little door and took us inside the temple and uh, took us to the altar and bowed at the altar with us and disappeared. So he left Mike and me there in, the, in this amazing place. I mean, it's this atmosphere that you just can't even believe. It's just steeped in practice, and oh, I could just I could go I go on all night about this. But <laughs> so Mike and I sat in meditation there, and it was about 100 degrees and probably 100% humidity, and and I was really hot and and you know I don't sweat much, but I was dripping sweat, and every time we would do prostrations, I'd leave a puddle on the you know. And so I was, you know, I was just, I was kind of there and a little bit distracted by this whole thing, but here we're sitting in meditation and out of nowhere, I was visited by the stream of our ancestors. They welcomed me. They confirmed me. They encouraged me. It was, uh, I don't know how to describe it. I don't know how to describe it. I had no idea something like that was possible. Uh, But I felt uh, very intimately our ancestors in, in us. And in that moment in me, They gave us this practice form, and they were encouraging me to uphold it with all my heart and pass it on with all my heart to, to do their work that they had been doing. Amazing. So another sort of intimacy we can we can develop with our practice form is intimacy with others, and I touched on this um, earlier. When we are very intimate with ourselves and we know how to hold our suffering, then we are bodhisattvas in the world. We can go and help other people in a way that if we don't practice our forms with integrity, we are just not capable of doing. When we know how to hold our own pain without being swept away, we can hold the pain of other people without being swept away. We can hold the pain of when there's conflict, we don't get swept into it quite the same way. We can do, like Lynn was telling me, just sitting with a, singing to a woman who died. She, She can be there with her. She can be authentically there with her. Barb, you had a similar experience recently. You could be there with your friend. 
because you've been practicing this form and you know how to hold the emotions and the experiences inside yourself. So that makes you uh, an incalculable gift to the world. You know, this kind of intimacy is the core of what it means to be a bodhisattva. A bodhisattva makes these vows that are impossible to keep. Impossible. To save all beings. To, to abandon all greed and hatred and ignorance. To open all Dharma gates, to step through every single one of them. To fully embody their own Buddhahood. Bodhisattvas make these vows and they're outrageous. But they can do it. They can do it because they know this intimacy. They know this. They've looked inside themselves so deeply that they can be like Avalokiteshvara with a thousand arms, with an eye in each palm, hearing every cry of suffering in the world not turning away from any of them. Hmm. And you know what? You're already a bodhisattva. You don't have to get any better. You don't have to, there's no self-improvement required for you to be a bodhisattva. You were born a bodhisattva. You were born a Buddha. And the form helps that to, to bloom like a lotus flower. It's already there. Hmm. So ultimately, this kind of intimacy that we gain with our practice form is the the intimacy of non-self. The self that's beyond our personal concerns. And our form takes us there. Our form takes us there. It starts by transforming us. Bit by bit, we expose ourselves to the form over and over again. We do the practices we love, and we do the practices we think are totally whacked out. We do them all. We just do them, and we come back and we do them again, and we stop picking and choosing which ones we like and which ones we don't like. We just do them. And when we can't do them, we rely on our Sangha to help us. You know, there's so many times during walking meditation in in long retreats, when I was in so much suffering that all I could do was walk behind the person walking in front of me and do exactly what they did. When they put a left foot down, I put a left foot down. When they put a right foot down, I put a right foot down. All I could do. I don't know what has given me the ability not to give up. I don't think it's some quality of mine. I don't don't understand it, but I've just kept coming back again and again. So we start these practice forms because we think we're going to transform, and in some ways we do. But that's not why we do them. We don't do them as a self-improvement project. We do them because we do them, because we trust them. Transformation happens. So the transformation it's not transform. It doesn't transform us anymore. Now it begins to inform us. The form informs us. It's in us. It expresses our love in the world. We don't go to the forms to be changed. 
The forms come out of us because that's how we love this world that we're in. We don't force ourselves to do walking meditation. We do walking meditation because we know that this foot touching this earth is the universe loving itself. You know, I, when I'm in the kitchen at home, I do the simplest thing sometimes. I, I'll open the silverware drawer and I'll listen. And I'll take out the fork and I'll push the drawer closed and I'll just listen. And I love that. I love that drawer. You know, it's to, to be present like that it's not, I'm not trying. It, it informs me. The form is in me and it just, that's, that's it. And then we can really let go and simply just let the form carry us. We don't have to attain anything. Like the Heart Sutra says, there's no path, no attainment. No insight. Well, none of that matters. The form is in us. And the form is the way that the universe loves the universe. The form is where awakening meets this particular moment. So... I think that's all I really wanted to say about the practice forms. And I just wanted to give you a, a sense of what I'm hoping for us to be able to do. I, I don't want us to make this retreat an intellectual exercise in three bells here, two bells there. This is important. We need to know this stuff. We need to know this stuff. Because the sanghas that we serve will be expecting it a certain way they'll and if it's not like that they will be shocked and they will they will have a hard time uh, settling it's just not (laughs) but but that is just like the paint on the surface you know we need the paint on the surface but it's it's what's underneath I just came back from seeing the terracotta warriors you know, and you, you're used to seeing these terracotta warriors as these clay terracotta things. And you think, okay, that's it. That's the substance. That's the beauty. But apparently they were painted, right? They, they, were, they were all bright colors and things, but that's all worn off. Mm-hmm. And if we just focus on the paint, we don't see the terracotta warrior. So let's, let's make sure we paint beautifully this weekend and do those, those, those practice forms in the, quote, right way. But let's keep our eye on what's really important about them, which is, what is this form inviting us to transform in ourselves? It's not just about, okay, we, we, we whack three bells now. You know, what are those three bells really inviting me to do? When I hear the three bells that start us in sitting, what have the ancestors passed to us as the insight that arises from being present from that? That's what we really want. That's what we really want. We really want to be able to, as Sangha leaders, 
pass that insight along with our skillful use of these forms. Thank you. Could we have a couple of sounds at the bell? Thank you.